let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going we're gonna to read 12 through 26. We will not get through all of that today, but for context's sake, we're going we're gonna to read all of that, and then we'll, we'll cover the first uh, handful of verses. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12. Let's read the word of the Lord. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye... I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor, again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Let's pray. God, we uh, just take a moment to confess that this is your word and that we um, submit to it and we ask that you would help us to hear from you today, that you would give us hearts and ears that are receptive to you and your word, that you would change us, Father, individually and um, as a church, that we would be more conformed into the image of Christ, um, that Nothing else matters. That you, your word, what you have for us is what we desire. So Holy Spirit, come. Use me to that end, Lord. Speak through me what you would have your people to hear. And Lord, give us as your people the hearts and ears to hear it. We ask these things in your name now. Amen. All right, well, I want you to think for a moment. Um, when you hear somebody talk about, well, this church needs to change, or maybe you've heard somebody even say that, you know, within our church, well, do we need to get, we need to do this, or if that church doesn't fill in the blank, then they will, you know, end up closing, or they'll end up whatever. I want you to think about when you hear statements like that, about how a church needs to do something, who do you think of as the ones that need to be doing it? Who comes, like, what, what is, how does that flesh out for you? Do you think of you know, the elders in a room making a decision? Do you think of, you know, uh, replacing the person who stands here or stands there or, um, you know, stat, like, or do you think of, you know, congregational-led members meetings or, I, I don't know, what comes to mind? Because here, Paul is, is, is continuing to talk about spiritual gifts, but he's going to sort of pause and explain a bit. Okay, so part of me, we've talked about several spiritual gifts, and we've been talking about some that are more um, unusual or unnatural, if you will. We've talked about things like healing and, um, 
you know, doing miracles and um, hearing from the Lord in different ways. We've talked about some gifts that are uncomfortable. We've got tongues and prophecy coming up in chapter 14. He's going to mention some more gifts at the end of chapter 12. And so part of me was like, well, maybe we should just go on and cover the other gifts and then come back to this whole one body, many parts thing. But I think it's important that we track with the train of thought for Paul, because he's been talking to these, this is a church, right? This is a church in the first century. They're, they're um, learning to follow Jesus together. They are, are, are learning what it means to be the people of God. And, the, and so Paul is very pastorally. He's written them a letter. That's what we're reading here. First Corinthians is a letter written to a church, and he's gone through issue after issue. And this one in particular, he's addressing uh, the issue of spiritual gifts. Why? Well, because they're experiencing spiritual gifts. Amen? Like the church is experiencing the spirit move in ways that people are having to go, whoa, like that was the Lord. Like I can't do that on my own. Like the Lord used me to bring about healing. Or like the Lord blessed the church through this individual, giving them this gift for the church. And, and we have no explanation except that the Lord has done this. So they're experiencing this, but... They're struggling with it a bit because they're using it to, to sort of, you know, set up hierarchy and status within the church. Well, this person got this gift, and so they must be varsity level, and the rest of us are down here on JV, or some of us haven't even made the team yet. And so there's some confusion going on. But Paul doesn't say, hey, stop that spiritual gift stuff. That's over now that, you know, Jesus is gone. Just focus on, you know, being good little Christians and follow your, you know, order of service and whatever. No, no, he says, no, it's good that you have the gifts. Praise God. And you should all desire to have even more of them and all of them. That's a good and right thing. You need to have some correction. You need to have some appropriate view of them, but pursue them. And so that's where we've been as a church. We've been talking about, okay, the same spirit gives different people different gifts for the same purpose. Okay, not to elevate an individual, but to elevate Jesus Christ. Right? And to, to bring his mission forward, to bring his kingdom to bear, he works through individuals uh, to manifest or to make himself known to the world. And we've been talking about that, how spiritual gifts are God working in us. And we're going to come back to that in just a moment. So Paul's been explaining that, and he sort of stops here. So he's talking about these gifts, this gift, this gift, and he kind of stops. And, and I want you to picture him going, like, okay, it's like this, right? And so he's kind of going to go, all right. Go with me here, and this will make a little more sense. And so that's what he does when he's going to shift into this body metaphor uh, and to help us explain more of what it looks like to be the church, okay? What it looks like to be the church, being God's people filled with his spirit on the earth. What does that look like? Paul says, well, it's like this. Just as the body, verse 12, is one but has many members. So this is my body, but at the same time, this is my hand, right? This is my finger, this is my nose, this is my eyes, so on and so forth, my ears, but, right? So those are individual parts, but they're all a part of my body, right? And so you, that same is true for you, makes sense, right? Has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So you guys know that, right? You can you think back to school, or maybe you're about to get back into school as you're teaching your kids in remote learning and all of those sorts of things, you're going you're gonna to be reminded that there's a whole lot of bones, right? Like well over 200, and then there's a whole lot of different cell types, and there's a lot of different organs, and they all play a very specific role and function for the body, but they're all a part of the body nonetheless. And so Paul is saying, hey, the church is like that. The church is like that. <clears throat> they're all one body, and he says, so it is with 
Christ. Now that language there is easy to miss, but I want you to hear what he didn't say and then let that inform what he did say here. He says, this is what it's like, one body, many members. So it is with Christ. He does not say, so it is with Christ, church. So he doesn't, so it is with the church, so it is with you all. No, he says, so it is with Christ. Well, the first thing that we have to, to understand is, is how to rightly view the church. What is this deal? What are we doing? Is this about, you know, picking our flavor of entertainment and, you know, what we come to consume and what church preaches the way we like and what church sings the way we would like to sing and does children's ministry the way that we like and we just kind of go and we belong there or join there? Or is there something more personal and active and involved going on? Well, I would say very much it is the second. And that's what Paul is communicating here. The first thing we see is he's talking about members. That word is a a correct literal translation. But if you look at the context, he's not talking about members just in the same sense that that you and I become members of a club or even that we become members of the church. Because I think we we have this idea that it's, it's, it's just that a place where we belong. Well, I belong there. I'm a member of this gym or this organization or even this church. Now, it's not less than that, right? It is absolutely that we belong to the church. It is, it's not less than that, but it is, it is much more than that, okay? When, when, this, when Paul is talking about members here, it would, it would make more sense in the context as you keep reading. You realize he's talking about like parts of the body. So it might be more to the point to say, instead of members, we say limbs and organs and parts. Okay, so we, we, we need to flip our understanding of what the church is. It's not just this club-like thing that we join and I belong there, so I'm a member there. Rather, it's, it's this active part of the body where each part has a function, has a role, and has value. It's interesting. He, and, and so he goes on to say, that's what, it, you know, different members, different parts and limbs and organs, but they're all a part of the same body. So it is with Christ. That is incredible language. He doesn't say so it is with the church. So it is with Christ. He is implying, he's, he's reminding that, that we are the body of Christ. He's sort of assuming that they know this. He's mentioned it earlier in, <coughs> excuse me, sorry, in the book, Earlier he has said, in, or later in this chapter, he's going to say, now you are the body of Christ, individually members of it. In chapter 6, verse 15, he has said, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ, right? A part of Christ. And he says, shall I take members of Christ and make them members of other filthy things? Uh, no, because why? Well, we are part of the body of Christ. Ephesians 1. He says, and he put all things under his feet, and he gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, we're sort of used to that language, right, the body of Christ, but are we used to the way that Paul is talking about it here when it comes to individuals and the way that we live collectively in the body of Christ and how we're used by Christ to accomplish what he wishes to accomplish. It's interesting that he says this is how it is with Christ, meaning this is how we are in Christ, we are the body of Christ, and this is how this plays out. It's it's really fascinating to to look at this in light of Acts chapter 9, where uh, the guy who wrote this book, Paul, was at that time a guy named Saul, same guy, 
life change, name change. But at that time, he is an opponent of the early church. He's persecuting Christians. He's hunting them down. Those who are following Jesus, he thinks it's a, an offense to the, the true God, right? He's a, he's a devout Jew, and he thinks he's doing God a favor by shutting this whole Jesus movement down. He doesn't realize Jesus is the fulfillment of all that God has been doing in the Jewish people, but he's about to learn. So he is, is on this mission. He is persecuting Christians, meaning he's arresting them, he's beating them, uh, and sometimes killing them. This is what Saul is doing. And, and you may know the story. He's, uh, he's left the stoning of S Stephen in Acts chapter 7. He's gotten even more orders from the government officials to arrest and persecute Christians. He's on his way to a place called Damascus. And on his way there, Jesus himself shows up, great light, knocks him off of his horse, and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my church? If you know the passage, what does he say? Why are you persecuting me? Are you persecuting me? Now, was Saul, you know, aiming arrows at heaven, right, to Jesus' throne? Was he, was he actually persecuting the body? Of Je no, Jesus has ascended into heaven at that time. So what, what is Jesus saying? He says, no, 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 this, my people, this is my body. And when you persecute them, you're persecuting me. You see, this begins to tie all this up. What we've been talking about with the spiritual gifts is that it's God at work in us, right? And we're going to keep reiterating this, that Jesus came to do a mission, right? And when he came, he was healing people. He was preaching the truth. He was uh, turning the world back right side up, right? All the things that had been broken with sin, sickness, selfishness, and division, Jesus began to, to put them back together in little microcosm and little pockets of the world. And he says, listen, there's going to come a time, he tells his disciples, he says, hey, you guys are going to do the stuff that I, and he sends them out, and he gives them power, but then he, he's, he's training them. And he's saying, hey, there's going to come a day where I'm going to leave, right? My body's going to leave. But don't fear, he says, don't fear. It's actually good for you that I leave. You read about this in John, like chapters 14 through really like 20. But, but there's this whole posture of Jesus saying, hey, it's actually going to be good for you that I leave because when I leave, I'm actually going to send the helper to you. And when you receive him, you'll receive power. And you will continue what I've been doing, even greater things that I've been doing when he comes upon you. He will empower you to do the things that I've been doing. So he starts to, to train them. They don't understand it fully yet, right? They're like, wait a minute, you're going to leave, and then you're going to give up? Yeah, so he starts to build this. He says, I'm going to train you. I'm going to raise you up. I'm going to give you the Spirit, and I'm going to send you out to keep doing what I've done and, until the whole world knows. So Jesus came. He did incredible ministry. There was incredible buzz. Many people got born again. Many people got saved because of what Jesus has done. Jesus says, this is just the beginning. I'm going to sit on the throne as, as the ruling, conquering king, and I'm going to send you out to go and tell the whole world where they can find salvation, where they can find pardon from their sin because I am the conquering king. They believe in me. They will be saved. And you're going to do that by carrying out the ministry that I have done. So spiritual gifts, as we've been talking about, is, is God working in us. It's working in and through us to make himself known to the world. So what he doesn't do is just pick one guy, one pastor, one leader of the church, and give him all the gifts that Jesus had so that he can lead little pockets of people. He doesn't work that way. Instead, he does this, this thing that we theologically would call 
the priesthood of the believer or the, the ministry of all the saints, meaning that, that he's instead of doing that with one person, he's going he's gonna to breathe the Spirit onto his entire church, all who would believe in him, not just you don't just get salvation. You don't just get the spirit to convict you of sin. You don't just get your ticket to heaven, and all these things are amazing, right? But also you get the Holy Spirit to live within you and to work in and through you for the purposes of Jesus. That's good news, church. This is how he is working in and through us. So he says, I'm going to collectively be present in my church, and I'm going to give this person this gift, and this person this gift, and this person this gift, and so on and so forth. And collectively, you're going to make up the body of Christ, and you're going to be Christ for the world. That the world is going to see Jesus through us. That's his plan A. That's how he's going to make salvation known, is by empowering the church to be who he was, to do what he was doing in the world after he leaves. And so when we talk about a passage like this that says, Listen, church, there's going to be some that have healing, some that have miracles, some that have discernment, some that have uh, tongues, some that have prophecy, some that have administration, some that have generosity, so on and so forth. To, together, collectively, we're all bearing the image of Jesus, and we're showing the world who Jesus is. Now, we, we can't lose this, that, in, that this is the body of Christ, that we identify as Christ, much in the same way that, that the, the Israelites identified as, as David went and conquered Goliath on their behalf, that was not just David's victory, but that was Israel's victory through David. That David went as a representative, as a champion for the people of Israel. And when he killed Goliath, that was Israel's victory. They all shared in that. Jesus comes and he is like David where he conquers death on our behalf. See, death is our enemy. That was our battle to fight. That was our sin that needed to be paid for. And Jesus steps in and says, I will fight this enemy for you. I will do battle with sin, death, and the grave, and I will win. And when I win, we will conquer the world together. There'll be a day where there's people from all tribes, tongues, and nations. Everybody knows about Jesus. And there'll be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and they've all heard of Jesus. They've, and there's going to be people who have bowed their knees to Jesus, and he will have the world. He will have the world. Why? Because it's his. It's his to begin with. So what Paul is getting at is this restoration of what was lost in the very beginning. If you remember back in Genesis 1 and 2, it was all, it was good. Why was it good? It was good because we were in relationship with God. It was good because we were one with him, that we were in community with him, which made us have unity with one another. Man, the world's hungry for that, aren't they? The world is scratching and clawing for, for uh, something to bring them together, and it's, we're just getting driven further and further apart. All we know how to unite against, or all we know how to unite on right now is what we're against. And it's tearing us apart. But Jesus says, well, that's not how it was meant to be. That's not how it was meant to be. And I'm going to be doing the work of restoring how it was meant to be. And when you come and you confess that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you are born again and you receive the Holy Spirit. And he lives and dwells within you. And as he lives and dwells within you, he wants to use and work through you. So if we're going to rightly approach the spiritual gifts, we have to rightly understand that it, they're, they're not just for those who are on the stage. They're not just for those who are in some position of leadership. That the way that God has set up the body is that, man, my gift is just one of many. And it's no more important or less important than 
than others. And we're going to get into that in the coming weeks, but, but we have to start there by understanding, by acknowledging, and by submitting to the fact that we are all members of the body of Christ. That, that what it, that's what it means to be a part of the church. If you view church as just something that we come to, right, that we come to once a week, that this is church, it's an event, right, then we're going to miss out on what God means for us because then we're going to elevate the people who have a microphone, right? If this is what church is, well, then what really matters in church is somebody who can preach or sing or, you know, give good announcements or, or whatever it is, right? Maybe a community group leader, maybe somebody else, maybe a musician, but, but then a, what that ends up doing is that leaves a whole lot of God's people feeling like they don't have any value, feeling like they don't have any role to play within the church. And that is absolutely wrong and not what God has for us. So we're here where Paul is having to sort of over, like course correct them where they're saying, well, hey, look at me. I got this gift. I got this gift. What we've done in, in a lot of the Western world is we've cultivated this culture in church where it's all about consuming. We've cultivated this culture where it's just about come and, and watch, you know, come and watch the show. Come and watch the show. See if the pastor's good. See if the, if the music's to your liking. And if not, you know, there's other shows in town. You can go there. And so then when we, when we think about the church and what needs to change, well, we start to think about, okay, well, they need to do this and they need to do that and, and, and they, they, they. What Paul is saying is, no, no, no. You're all interconnected and it's you. It's not just me. It's you and it's you and it's you and it's you. And, and so we start to see where you're all a part. We are all a part of the body of Christ. So church is not this thing that we come to and it's not this event that we attend. Rather, it's the life that we live together as God's people, that we are the church. And, and it's what we do together in the world. That is, is the church being the church. Yes, gathering is a part of it. We might start calling it the gathering. I don't know. Like, it, because it's hard, right? You're telling your kids, like, hey, okay, we're going to go to church. You ask your one another, hey, are you coming to church this weekend? And it's sort of a, you know, it's just, it's just the language we use. But again, it's not less than that, but it is more than that. So we need to shift our mindset to rightly view what the church is. As we'll talk about next week, that will inform how we view ourselves and how we view one another in the church. But first, we have to start by just letting our mind correctly, letting the Bible make us correctly think about the church and what it means to be a part of the church. Because it says, verse 13, for in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, all were made to drink of one spirit. Paul is very much has in mind the idea of a new humanity. As I said, it was good in the beginning. It was lost because of sin. Sin brought sin, or sickness, death, but division and strife and all of those things. Jesus says, that was not a part of the original deal. I'm going to come to restore reconciliation, to bring hope, to bring unity. You, you, read, you read John chapter 17 where, where Jesus is praying to his Father, and he's praying that, that we would have a oneness about us, that we would be unified, that we would be one just as he and the Father are one. And, that, and he was talking about his current disciples. He said, may, may they know that, may they feel that the way that I feel that with you, but not just for them, but those who would come after them. Jesus is leaning and saying, no, no, I want them all to know that we are one. I want them to feel that, to experience that, to, to, to live that out. 
Listen, when we just come to church to be entertained or just to consume content, we are forfeiting our birthright. We're leaving so much on the table, and we're distorting what God meant to do in his body, in the world. It's a total distortion of what, and listen, when we're complicit in it. By we, I mean like church leaders. We're complicit in it because it's easy to, to just think, okay, well, I preach better, do a better show, sing better, whatever. We'll get more people in, and that's appealing, and we want people because we want people to hear about Jesus, and people's, you know, numbers are, are good because that means more people. And so, like, we, we go, okay, what, what, what sells, what markets, what, you know, we, we kind of angle everything that way. And, and listen, it's not wrong to want to do things better and to have a better service, but what we should long for, what we should be cultivating is that we are living as the body of Christ, in the original language, there's soma, like that we are a part of the body of Christ. And that is not an event we come to. Rather, it is a life we live together. So what does that mean? It means that you have just as much value. If you're here, you're a member of this church. You have just as much value as me or anybody on this stage or one of the elders. Like you have value in the body of Christ. Why? Because you're part of the body of Christ, period. Your value, your worth is determined by the fact that Jesus came to shed his blood, to purchase your soul, and to adopt you into his family, and to make you a part of his body. That, in and of itself, gives you value. Doesn't matter what you look like, doesn't matter what gifts you have, doesn't matter if anybody ever sees you, hears from you, knows you, you have value, you're part of the body. As we'll see in a few weeks, nobody knows what the appendix does till that thing shuts down. Right? Everybody feels it then, right? Like there's there's parts of the body that, that that you may not be on, you may not have the mic, you may not be on, but but that doesn't mean you don't have value. And so Paul is talking about that in one spirit we're all baptized into the body, meaning Jesus, when when he when he came and he and he died, he died the death that we should have died on the cross, and then he was buried in a physical tomb, and then he rose again. Right, physically, his body rose again, and the Bible is going to talk about. We're going to get in, into it in, in depth in First Corinthians 15. But he talks about that how Jesus is the first fruits of many, meaning that Jesus is starting this revolution. He's starting this this new humanity where resurrection life now exists in Him. That's where we get life in the Spirit, right? And we're sort of more familiar with that when we get into the, the, the Galatians terms of fruit of the Spirit, right? We don't want to live by the flesh. We want to live by the Spirit because these are the deeds of the flesh, and they end up bad. But here's the deeds of the Spirit, and that, that ends up producing good character and good things. We, we're, we're sort of familiar with that. But when it, we, we need to apply that same understanding of life in the Spirit to operating as a church. That life in the Spirit means we're all living by the Spirit, that we're baptized when we're baptized, that's a physical uh, you know, illustration, if you will, of what happens inwardly. That when we receive Jesus, we're united with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. And so when we're baptized, it's this picture of that our old life is dying. We're dying to self, right? We're, we're being laid down. We're being buried underneath the water. We're raised to walk in newness of life. That's the language of the New Testament when it comes to being baptized. And Paul says, when you're baptized into Jesus, you're into his body. You're a part of his body. So some of you are here and you've never thought about yourself that way. You never thought about yourself as a part of the body of Christ. Maybe you've thought about it more in the member sense of somewhere I belong. But no, you are a part of the body, meaning you have value, you have a role to play, you have an identity as the body of Christ. There's an article attached uh, in your in the digital bulletin part of your app about 
finding even your self-esteem should be found in this reality, that I'm a part of the body of Christ. That I'm, like, and not just in the church sense, but like we identify with Christ, that, that that's where we get our value. And he says, not only are you just in, right, that, and that's what so often we just kind of minimize salvation to meaning Jesus forgives us for our sin and allows us to be a part of the body. Part of the family, may not like him, he's kind of like that crazy uncle, he's rough around the edges, but hey, he's still got our last name, so we're going we're gonna to let him be around. And so you, some of you just think God tolerates you, right, that he lets you come in and he'll fix it all one day when you get to heaven, but for now, he just kind of tolerates you. But that's not true. It says you're baptized into the body, and then, you're, and then all, it says, all at the end of verse 13, are made to drink of one spirit, meaning that we all continually in the way that you have to have liquid, you have to have water to, to drink every day to, to have, you know, to sustain your body, to sustain your health. Like we all have the spirit to, to drink, that we're collectively. So it's not just brought in and like, okay, you know, we'll tolerate you. No, no, no. You have the spirit dwelling in you. You have the spirit to partake of. And as you do that, then the church becomes active, right? So if we all just sit and wait for me and Anthony and Cindy and Sharon and, and the elders to, to figure it out, if you guys are just waiting as, as consumers, just waiting to figure it out, and, and I don't want to say that that's like our church is, praise God, not like that in many ways, but what we want to do is invite more of you into that. What, I, what we feel, as we said a few weeks ago, like we're just going to let this passage, let the word of God shape our church and take us deeper into Christ, Amen? You guys good for that? We're just going to let the Word of God take us deeper into Christ. It's not Jordan's agenda. It's not anybody else's. It's, no, we read this. We want to apply it. We want to take it seriously. And so what this is saying is it's not just about what I do and what, you know, whoever we have leading the singing does. Like, no, it's about what you do. It's about your gifting. It's about your action. It's about your participation in the Spirit. Are you pursuing the Spirit? Are you pursuing, are you asking that the Spirit would move in you, that he would show you the ways that he's gifted you to benefit the rest of the church? Are you actively pursuing the Spirit? And we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're just going slow through these chapters because it's new and it's different in some ways, and we, we want to let it sink in. And so part of what today is is just identifying rightly what it means to be a part of the church. And for some of us, we just got to sit in that and begin to ask God, perhaps for the first time, how do you want to use me? What is my role to play? Because you see, if we just, if we just look at it as an event, then this is what creates people who just come in and kind of serve as referees. Right? They just want to blow the whistle about what the church is doing. I don't like that. They did that wrong. I don't like how they sung that song. I don't like how he preached that text. I don't like how they do Journey Kids. I, we're going to go somewhere else. Right? And they just blow the whistle and and, you know, point out things that they don't like, and so they can go, they'll go to another church, and they just keep, and many of you know people like that. They just keep going from church to church to church, kind of pointing out what's, you know, what they don't like. The picture that the New Testament paints is, is, no, that's not your role. You're part of the team. You're not the referee. The Spirit does that. God's Word does that. Rather, you're part of the team. So if you see something we're doing wrong or could do better, yeah, you could fuss or you could just leave or you could like be like, hey, let me help, right? Like, well, let me help with this. Just talking to 
Mark Johnson earlier, and sorry to call you out, buddy. I know you didn't ask for this, but between services, he's running our slides for us, and he's, we got a new program. We're kind of, uh, we're learning, we're, and, he goes, and he's just sitting there clicking around learning. He's like, hey, if I can help, I will, you know. He's like, he's a software engineer, so I'm like, yeah, <laughs> like, please help because <laughs> we, we need you. And it's like that's him. Instead, he can be like, hey, I noticed you guys are kind of bumbling through and, you know, things aren't going real well. No, he's like, hey, let me serve. I'll help. Like we start to see real value happen when all of us participate with humility, Right? And we say, hey, let me, I think I might be able to be used in this way. Or, hey, let, let, me, let me serve in this way. Let me, let me help. I think God's called me or gifted me. That's part of what we're going to be doing. We're talking about identifying these gifts. As we do that, it's not just for intellectual information so that now you, now you know those are the gifts that God has for his church. No, it's, it's for like, like practice and implementation. Right? So as we identify these gifts, as we walk through this, it's for you guys to be going, Lord, I think like, is that, how, is that how you've gifted me? I've, I've kind of been used in that, like, is that what you want me to do? Or, or you don't know, you're going, Lord, show me. Lord, reveal your, like, I'm praying, I'm seeking, I'm asking God to, to move in this way, like, to, to, to use me. I'm asking God to use me, to, to give me the gift of healing, to give me the gift of discernment, to give me the gift of administration. Like, so we start to seek that. So that, that's... It's where we're headed as a church. It's because that's where the Bible is. Like, because I've read the rest, and I'm like, oh man, we got a lot of we got a lot of work to do. We got a lot of opportunity here. This is not like, ah, oh, you know, we the boss is cracking down, and he says he wants more results. I'm going like, no, like we've sold ourselves short. Like God has so much more for His church. We've set our sights too low. Let's raise our gaze. Let's raise our gaze. Because Jesus came and gave his life and was raised back to life. That is a world-changing, history-defining thing that Jesus did. And he didn't do it just so that we could come gather in a room and listen to me yell for 40 minutes. No, he has work for us to do. He has a mission for us to accomplish. We benefit from one another as we, we're going to see, like we have this interdependence. We, we carry one another's burdens. We make one another better, but then we are a witness to the world. That's what God has for us as a church. And that's, where, that's what we're just leaning into and, and asking. So I need you to do that with me. I need you to realize that, that, it's, that it's not just one member. It's not just me. It's not just uh, like, you know, people on the stage, but it is, it is us collectively that we are one body with many members. And that we, man, that brings unity. Knowing that we have a cause, knowing that we, that we, that we are uh, gifted by the same spirit, that brings unity where nothing else will. We're not going to find unity in some social cause, in some agenda, some, uh, you know, like, it's just, it's just going to continue to drive us further and further apart in the world. But, man, we as the church, we have unity because... None of us earned our spot here in the body of Christ. You realize that, right? Like you didn't earn it. Wasn't God looked down and thought, oh man, he's, he's, he's varsity material. Let me get him on the team. No, this all boils down to the good news of the gospel. He gives us gifts by his grace because he's a God of grace. He calls us to give of our life and, and service and surrender because he gave his life in service and surrender. That Jesus came for you and for me so that we could find, so that we could have salvation. He freely gave his life. He surrendered it so that 
we could be forgiven. And that's what he's calling us to do, surrender our lives so that we could be used for the glory of Jesus, for the sanctification of one another, and for the salvation of those who don't yet know Jesus. So let's pray. Let's ask God to, to use us to bring more people to Jesus, to bring revival, to move in our midst. God, I, I ask for that. I ask for just what we don't deserve, but you've promised to give by grace, that you would continue to make us into a new humanity where the world looks and sees, man, that is where hope is found. That is where Jesus Christ is on display. Lord, help us to lean in. Help us to just acknowledge what you are doing in your church, that we are members of you, Jesus, and that you are an active God on a mission to bring reconciliation to a broken world and that, that you're using us, that we are your hands and feet. We are your body in the midst of this world, that it's not dependent upon us, but you use us, and that is good news. Father, for anyone here who does not yet know you, who's never experienced being born again and brought into this body, I pray that you would give them a saving faith this morning. I pray that you would convict them of their sins and, and show them that they have a need and that you would magnify yourself as the only one who can meet that need and that you would call them to you. For the rest of us, Lord, would you help us to surrender afresh and to begin to expect you to use us in the midst of your body for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name.